Well, this morning, uh, my message is, uh, you know, I was challenged by uh, someone this, this uh, week or last two weeks. He was saying to me that, um, you know, church is just full of hypocrites, you know. <laughs> I always love when people do that. Uh, it's like, uh, you, you, well, let's just say, I used this story. I said, you know, the, the hospital's full of sick people, you know. <laughs> They're not pretending to be ill. They are sick. While in the church, the church isn't full of perfect people. If you want to be perfect, I don't know where you go. You know, it's not about being perfect. It's about allowing God to change your heart and your mind and, and you know, help us in this process. And, and if you're perfect, then you certainly don't want to come here. <laughs> because, you know, I don't, I don't, uh, I'm not perfect, you know. Almost, but that's a joke. <laughs> No, I'm far from it. But the idea is that Jesus is our, our Messiah. He is our Savior. And we celebrate Christmas. And, you know, so how many times, you know, the, the title of my, the message is, um, why predict the Messiah? You know, why would the Bible predict that a Messiah is coming? And if you think about this, we would say, well, in, in, our, in our lives, well, how many times have we prayed for something and it didn't happen? <laughs> or... Why would the Bible put this in place? Well, it's so that we would know that the Scripture is different than any other book and that the coming of Jesus Christ is different than any other prophet or priest or teaching or religion or whatever. He is different than all of them because there was thousands of years in place predicting and telling that a Messiah would come and that Jesus Christ at, at, a, at, a, at a specific time that Jesus would come. So whenever I hear also that people say, well, you know, there's just no proof. <laughs> there's just no proof that there's a God. And, and I think of it in the context that people look at their life and they, they use themselves as, as it were, the center of the universe, and that there is no proof in my life that there's a God. Well, look at the book, the Bible, and it shows us that there is a God. There's a God in creation. He created in the beginning God, and we've spoken about this in the last couple of weeks, that God is. He doesn't explain himself. He doesn't say where he came from or where he's going. He just is. He always was and he always will be. And so religion then becomes uh, a, a way of us expressing our faith and finding the, the church. And religion is not... God. R different religions have different ways of approaching and teaching the scriptures and, and, you know, and even different churches in the same denomination, they can be different. And so we've, we've got to find this place where our, our faith and the reality of the scriptures come together and where we see Jesus Christ in the hearts and the lives of people and how that it's a, it's a place of encouraging, it's a place of, of growth a place of change from the inside out. You know, um, when, you, and when you want to know God, you want to know if God is, well, then look at his word. Look at the scriptures. Understand it and study it. And there are ways to study and there's ways to look at it that explain who God is and explain what God is all about. Um, we look at the book to um, demonstrate God's will and his power and his promises. You know, I, I, 
was thinking of where does it say that in that in, in where does it say in the scripture that the followers of Jesus Christ were perfect? You know, Peter denied him three times. Uh, the disciples after the resurrection, um, you know, some of them they had a hard time until the, the, the Holy Spirit came. And still, even after that, when Peter and, and Paul, sometimes they had disagreements in the early church. And so their people aren't, it's a mat, not a matter of perfection. It's a matter of allowing ourselves to grow and become the person that God wants us to. And if we could do that in an instant, well, it wouldn't be much use of us, you know, going on from where we're at. And so God has this growth process in, in, in mind. So whenever... Um, I think of this, why would God predict and why would God put these things in place and what are, the, what are the things, what are the symbols, what are the events that kind of tell us that God is God? And when I was thinking of that, I thought of Elijah. Now, what on earth does Elijah have to do with Christmas? Well, wait. <laughs> so, you know, um, Elijah was this single-minded commitment to God and he has this commitment to God that is shocking <laughs> I mean he, he was he was a man who was sent to confront not comfort <laughs> you know we have different personalities as as pastors and ministers and you know we all have different things that we do and my personality is more you know kind of easygoing one guy was telling me he says you know you're just too easygoing you should be more confrontational I said, well, are you lying to me? <laughs> well, then why should I confront you? You know, I, I believe you. If you're telling me something and you're the expert at what you're doing, then I should believe you. <clears throat> why should I believe that you're not, why should I think that you're not telling me the truth? So why should I confront you with who you are and what you're telling me? <clears throat> he said, oh, okay. You know, but Elijah, he was this guy who was sent to confront and he confronted Israel and he confronted them uh, for their sins and for the things that they were doing. So um, he, he, was, he spoke, to, spoke God's word to King Ahab. Now, if you don't know who King Ahab is, well, his wife's name was Jezebel. <laughs> so we know his wife more than we know him, all right? You know, you ever hear somebody say Jezebel and it doesn't, in a, in a, that's not in a kind word. So... So Elijah, he, he, he brought the message to King Ahab, and King Ahab hated Elijah. I mean, he just despised him. And, and in verse, verse uh, 17, you don't need to look this up, but it says, uh, is that you, you troubler of Israel? <laughs> that's, what he, that's what King Ahab called Elijah. So what was wrong with Elijah? Nothing. He just brought the word of God to the king, and the king didn't want to hear it. And, you know, Elijah, not being the, you know, roll over and play kind to the king and his authority, he just confronted him, you know. You're doing wrong, and the king didn't like to be told he was doing wrong. And so he conf Elijah confronted the nation of Israel. He confronted, so he was, <clears throat> he was a man on purpose, <laughs> And he was a man on task, and he was going to do the task that God laid out before him. And, and he was also a loner. He was, you know, very much on his own in the wilderness and, you know, and, and doing those things because the king wanted to kill him. And the king had sent out word that he had been killing other prophets and so on. So this was a very, very uh, difficult time. 
Well, Elijah's been hiding, not hiding, yeah, been hiding from, from uh, the king because the king wanted him to be killed or brought in because there was a famine going on, and the king blamed Elijah for it. And so <clears throat> Elijah met one of the individuals sent from the king and says, you know, I want to meet with the king. And the guy says, will you be there? Because he'll kill me if you're not where you say you're going to be. Elijah says, I'll be there. So they went to this place called Mount Carmel. And this is in verse 20 of chapter 18 of 1 Kings. Elijah came to the, all the people and said, you must decide. Now, <clears throat> I, I was at Mount Carmel a number of years ago. <laughs> Um, not the one in the U.S., the one in Israel. <laughs> and um, I always remember standing there and saying, you know, thinking, you know, they have the big statue there and the, the, the fire, you know, it's just a bronze statue of Elijah and there's a building there. And I, and I thought, wow, this is not a very big area for Elijah to be with these 850 prophets that have come there, plus all the others and plus the nation of Israel. But what it was, it was up on this high mountain, uh, and not a mountain, but on a high, a couple hundred feet off, off of the valley floor. And the valley floor is, I believe, the Megiddo Valley. So you could put thousands of people uh, in this Megiddo Valley. And so it butts up against this ridge or this high place. It's a couple hundred feet high. And there's a stream that runs next to it. And up on top of this area is where this, this whole um, event is going to take place. And so uh, Elijah has these people. Now, you, you've got to understand, the king has um, 800. Elijah challenges the king to bring all of the, the prophets you know, of, of, of Baal. And there's 450 of one group and 400 of another. And so you've got 850 of these prophets up there, plus... <laughs> All the other people would come to see, well, if, if Elijah and the king are going to get together, there's going to be a showdown. So everybody, you know, the, the uh, email went out, boom, like that. And everybody knew. <laughs> they got text messages, their phones were ringing, and they were all buzzing and showing, going to, going to Mount Mount Carmel because there was going to be a showdown. No, they didn't have text and emails, so I just just was putting that in for some kind of benefit, you know, they was, they had word of mouth, and it, what's that? They tweeted, yeah, they tweeted, they sent the bird out. <laughs> so, so Elijah says to the people, now, <clears throat> the people have to decide, again, you must decide what you are going to do, how long will you jump between from one side to the other, how long will you jump between God and Baal? How long will it be that you'll keep up this, this disbelief that's going on? So, we move on. The people said nothing, you know, so, uh, oh, there we go. But the, if the Lord is the true God, follow him. But if Baal is the true God, then follow him. So, he puts out the, the challenge. There's Baal and there's God, so... Up on this mountain and up on this hill and this precipice, I didn't check it out, but I'm sure that if you spoke from up there, your voice carried a long way. So they had, you know, there was all these people watching this, and there's 850 prophets of, of, of Baal up there, and then, of course, there's Elijah, because he's, he's the only one left because these people had killed all the other prophets. Well, so Elijah said, verse 22, I am the only prophet of the Lord here. But there are 450 prophets of Baal, 
and there were 400 prophets of Asher. And uh, so bring us two bulls. Let the prophets of Baal have one bull. Let them kill it. Cut up the carcass, cut it in pieces, put the meat on the wood, but don't start the fire. I will do the same with the other bull, and I will not start the fire either. The prophets of Baal, they began to pray. And I will pray to the Lord. Whichever God answers the prayer and starts the fire is the true God. Now, people, whenever they're critical, say, let's prove, can you prove to me that there is a God? Well, you know, in the scriptures, when it talks about this and, you know, this event, it isn't like two or three people hiding up in the woods. This is a major event in the history book of Israel. This is a major event that people from all the communities and the surrounding region, they're all showing up to see what goes on because they know that Elijah has been hunted by the king and his, his men. And Elijah is going to show up and all these people, you got one man against 850. It seems like, and plus the king himself. So it's quite a... You know, it's quite outmanned. So, all the people agreed that was a good idea. Verse 26. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, There are many of you, so you go first. Choose a bull, prepare it, but don't start the fire. So the prophets took the bull that was given them. They prepared it. They started praying to Baal and praying, prayed until noon. They said, Baal, please answer us. But there was no sound. No one answered. Then they began jumping around on the altar that they had built. <laughs> you know, sometimes whenever we pray, people think that we didn't, we didn't plead enough. You know, faith is not about pleading. Faith is about asking. You know, faith is not about whether we jump or whether we lay on our face, whether we kneel, whether we stand, whether we walk. It's communion with God. And so these, these individuals in here, they, they were cutters, and we'll see them in a minute here. They were cutting themselves, and you know they were trying to prove that they were these faithful servants of Baal. And you know we don't have to prove anything. In our relationship with Jesus Christ, we, we, he, he loves us, and we love him, and he's in our hearts and our minds, and we pray, and we can ask, and, and know that God hears our prayers. And if nothing happens, it doesn't mean that nothing has happened. God is working behind the scenes, and God is, you know, what touches our heart touches God's. He, he is touched by the feelings of our infirmities. The things that bother us bother God. When people hurt us, God hurts. So in this relationship that we have with God, we are not to be like the prophets of Baal. It isn't that God wants, Jesus wants some more, some other sacrifice, you know, or to do it in a better way, to, in, a, in, a, in a better place or whatever. God can straighten out your prayers. You know, sometimes you ever pray and you use the wrong name. I'm praying for so-and-so and it's like, oh, that wasn't the right name. I wonder if God understood what I meant. <laughs> yes, he does. <laughs> so he straightens out the intents of our hearts. All right. At noon, Elijah, verse 27, at noon, Elijah began to make fun of them. 
He said, if Baal really is a god, maybe you should pray louder. Oh, so we've got to yell and shout. Maybe he's busy. <laughs> That's funny. You know, God's busy. People have said that, you know, God didn't answer my prayers. Do you think he's busy? Did he hear me? That, you know, and I, and I go back to this. I'm never going to finish my sermon, but, you know, but anyhow, I'll go back to this. Uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, this, this guy was, you know, I don't, again, I don't put much stock in people's after, out-of-body experiences and stuff unless they match up really great with the word. And this, and this guy had died in some way, whether in the hospital operating room or in a car wreck. I don't remember that part. But anyhow, he went to heaven, and there he is in the, in the throne room of God, and he's there with God, and he, he's just, in his own mind, he's, you know, communicating with God, and he's talking to God, and he's, wow, it's wonderful to be here. And then he's aware of all the other people. Then he's aware of all the prayers coming up from earth, and all the things going on, and God has given to him his undivided attention. And he says, God, how can you give me your undivided attention and all these other people? And the impression that came to him was, there's enough of me. Should, there ever, should all the people who have ever lived come to me at one time, there's enough of me to give to everyone my undivided attention. So we find that God hears us. And our, our faith and our confidence is that God will respond and he will do the right thing. He will, he, he's at work even whenever we don't see it or understand it or think it. So maybe he's busy. This is what Elijah is confronting the prophets of Baal with. Maybe he's thinking about something. He's preoccupied. Maybe he stepped out for a moment. <laughs> he could be sleeping. I mean, e Elijah's enjoying this. <laughs> He's enjoying this with these, these uh, prophets. Because they're praying to something that doesn't exist. They're praying to a God who can't hear or act or respond. Made out of wood or stone. You know, they're praying to these idols that... There's nothing there but wood and stone. There's nothing there. And they're expecting the stone to reply. Maybe you should pray louder and wake him up. So they prayed louder. They cut themselves with swords and spears. <laughs> so they were getting desperate. This was the way they worshipped. They cut themselves. You know, they're bleeding for... They were making themselves a blood sacrifice. So they were cutting themselves until they, they were bleeding all over. The afternoon passed, but the fire still had not started. The prophets were out of control and continued to act this way until the time came for the evening sacrifice. So Elijah allowed them to go on all day. Nothing happened. There was no answer from Baal. There was no sound. There was no one listening. <laughs> because there was no God there. Then Elijah said to the people, come here. So they gathered around Elijah in the Lord's altar, and where the Lord's altar had been turned down, tore down. So this was an old place where people had come and offered sacrifices, but had been left go for years. Elijah repaired it. He found 12 stones, one for each of the 12 tribes of Israel. 
verse 32, and Elijah used these stones to repair the altar to honor the Lord. He dug a small ditch around the altar, wide enough and deep enough to hold, it said, four gallons of water. So it was a water, and I've heard other quotes as to how many gallons, but he dug a ditch around it to hold water. Then Elijah put the wood on the altar. He cut the bull in pieces and laid the pieces on the wood. Then he said, fill the jars with water. Pour the water on the pieces of meat and on the wood. And then Elijah said, do it again. Do it a third time. So the people who were carrying these jugs of water had to go down this hill. Uh, I don't want to call it a mountain, but he had, they had to go down this steep embankment, maybe 50 yards, 100 yards, to the creek that was still down there and hadn't dried up. And they had to fill their jugs up with water, carry it back up, dump it on the sacrifice, go back down and do it. They did that three times. So all the people, they're watching them carry water up and dump on the sacrifice. I bet they were making fun of Elijah. You think God is going to work in your life? At about that time of the afternoon sacrifice, the prophet Elijah approached the altar and prayed. (laughs) You know, sometimes it's just the simplest prayers. All we're doing is conveying what's in our heart. You know, it doesn't have to be eloquent. It doesn't have to be all these flowery words. And so what's in your heart? What's the need of our life? And we're presenting it to God so that God can answer it in our lives. And we find that Elijah prayed. He says, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He identifies the God that he is praying to. It's not the God of Baal. It's the God of their forefathers. I ask you now to prove that you are the God of Israel and that I am your servant. Show these people it was you who commanded me to do all these things. Lord, answer my prayer. Show these people that you, Lord, are God and that you are the one who is bringing them back to you. See, the purpose of this demonstration was not to elevate Elijah. The purpose of this demonstration was to bring all the people who were watching and and going back and forth between Baal and and the God of Israel, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the the, the God of Elijah. He was doing this so that they would see that this God of Baal is nothing. He's just a stone statue. And the God of Israel is the living God. And he was bringing them back to reality, bringing them back to center. Well, it was direct. It was purposeful. It was full of faith and expectation. It was was there for a purpose. Sometimes we need to just look. What is the purpose of this prayer? Is it about me? Is it about God? It's about what God can do through this situation. We all have those, you know, if I had this, I could do this. If I had that, I could do that. The Bible says, you have not because you ask not. Sometimes we just don't ask. <laughs> you imagine showing up at heaven and you say, well, God, you know, I was really expecting this to happen. He says, did you ever ask me? Did you ever come out and say it directly with faith and expectation? Did you ever really say, 
you know, God, I'm praying for this, and I want, I'm praying that you will bring this into my life, into our life, and we will use this, it will, it will serve you, it will draw attention to you, and, well, God already knows all those things, but our faith is what brings it from a reality over there in the spirit world to this real world. My faith brings God to action, into action in our life, just as Elijah here is praying, and he says, simple and direct, he made this prayer, and that it is to bring the people back to you. Verse 38. Then fire came down from the Lord and burned the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the ground around the altar. And it dried up all the water in the ditch. And the people saw this happen. Whoa. So the people, so this was an amphitheater of... Of all these people, there up on the high hill is Elijah with his altar and the altar of, the, of, of Baal. And there's these 850 people, 450 prophets of Baal. They're cutting themselves and they're crawling all over the altar and they're yelling and screaming and jumping and trying to get the attention of, of Baal. You know, you can go out and jump on a tree, but it's not going to move except a limb. You know, it's not going to speak to you because it doesn't have it has life but not the life of speaking to you so all the people saw this happen then they bowed down to the ground and began saying the lord is god the lord is god choose and here's some help in making the choice choose are you going to serve God? Are you going to serve Baal? So in our life, we, always, we have these little choices that we make every day. And they sum up, they, they come to bring us to a point where we are choosing that it's God that I am serving. I don't know, have all the answers. Don't, don't you know, we're, we're going to grow in our faith. We're going to grow in our knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's not a total revelation, it's a beginning. And as we begin to walk with God, and as we allow God to speak to our hearts and let the word of God fix in us the, 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 the presence of God and the knowledge of God, and that we have enough confidence, sometimes we call it faith, to ask. Second Peter 3, 9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promises, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. God's desire is for everyone to go to heaven. Everyone come to repentance. Now, we know that people, <laughs> many people aren't, but that's their choice. But, the other scripture, and I know I have three minutes. You want a God who answers your prayers. You want a God who sets up expectations that only he can meet. You want to have a faith that is greater than you something you can dream up and have, have dreams about or nightmares about. Elijah showed us that God is God and that he can answer by fire. And he wants us to know he is an all-powerful God. So why does he set goals? Why does he set expectations? In Micah chapter 5, verse 2, he says, 
Bethlehem Ephrata. That's what I was looking for <laughs> this morning in Sunday school. Bethlehem Ephrata. You are one of the small towns in the nation of Judah. Now, this is 742 B.C. The prophet Micah is telling the nation of Israel, Bethlehem is where the Savior is going to be born. We're putting an expectation here in place. I'm letting you know the same God who, Micah doesn't talk about this, but the same for us, the same God who answered by fire is the same God who spoke to Micah and gave him the prophet's prophecy that the, the Redeemer is going to come, the Messiah is going to be born in Bethlehem. <laughs> and, but you are the smallest towns in the nation of Judah, but the Lord will choose one of your people to rule the nations. Someone whose family goes back to the ancient times. The Lord will abandon Israel only until this ruler is born and the rest of his family returns to Israel like a shepherd taking care of his sheep. Jesus, the good shepherd, taking care of his people by the power and the glorious name of our Lord, his God. His people will live securely and the whole earth will know his true greatness because he will bring peace. So here Micah outlines for us the birthplace. He says, but you Bethlehem in Ephrata. The Bethlehem is the smallest town in, Ju in Judea. Ephrata is the clan, <laughs> the name of the clan, the name of the family group that is there. And out of that family group will come this ruler and his name. He will be of the descendant of David. And we find that this prophet Micah spoke the word of God into the scriptures and wrote it and it's written down. And where did the wise men, when they came from the east, many months after the birth of Jesus in the stable, they came and where did they come? They came to Herod the king. They came to the palace to find the newborn king. And Herod didn't know anything about it. So he told his scribes and he told his advisors, where's the king of Israel going to be born? They went to Micah, the book of Micah. And they told the kings, these three kings, we three kings of Orient are, those guys, they told the kings he's born in Bethlehem. The message was 742 B.C. Whenever we look and we pray, <laughs> I remember praying for that years ago. God knows our prayers. And so, because something is not answered doesn't mean it won't be answered. Because we believe and we can ask God for the impossible, that's a good thing. We want God to do what we can't do. And we, will, we want God to strengthen us to do what we can. That he will give to us wisdom and guidance and insight and, 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 the, and, the, and the anointing of his Holy Spirit. So, why does God print, put in his scripture, the Messiah is coming? Because he's a God who answers by fire. He's a God who speaks the truth into his word. And it is eternal. 
And 700 years before it happens, he tells through the prophet Micah, (laughs) Bethlehem. He tells through the prophet Isaiah, a virgin shall conceive and bear a child. Who says such things? Only the God who can speak to the hearts of men and he can answer by fire, if so chooses. Amen. Father, we thank you that you are a God who speaks to our hearts and lives. And God, you love us. And you who could do anything and everything, Lord, you wait for us to have the faith, to have the, the knowledge, to have the expectation to place our prayers before you. We ask you, Lord, to hear our prayers, the ones that, Lord, we kind of hide from, that, Lord, they just seem so out of place and away from the realities of what is possible. So, Lord, we bring those prayers to the surface in our minds and our hearts, and we place them once again before you. We don't jump around. We don't cut ourselves. We don't plead and beg. We come to you believing that you are the God who hears and answers prayer. We believe that you are the God who speaks these things into our hearts. And we believe, God, that you will bring it to pass. So, Lord, thank you that we can stand upon the rock, Jesus Christ, and we are safe in this life and safe for eternity. And so, Lord, we thank you for hearing our prayers and that this special season that we are in, may we always remind ourselves it's not about the glitz and the lights and the tinsel and the star on a tree. It's about Jesus coming to be our Savior. Hear our prayers, Lord. Bless our lives and our families. We pray in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Take those hidden things to God in prayer. And we'll see what happens. Amen? Amen. Amen.